What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. The show is the show, but the people are the story. This is Backstage Stories. Crew are people, too. Taking you behind the scenes of the live entertainment industry to meet the unsung road warriors who help make the stars shine. Here's Ted Bird. Uh, we're broadcasting, I was going to say live because I'm a radio guy, but this is <laughs> podcasting. We're podcasting not live from the Palatial Truck and Roll Studios in Point Claire, Quebec. I'm with Steve Trainer, who is, what are you, the king of truck and roll or the crown prince? Uh, not even close. I'm uh, one of the serfs <laughs> at best. Well, Steve is a longtime acquaintance of mine and a longtime acquaintance of our guest today, Miles Goodwin. Where do we start with Miles? Well, I think most people know Miles as the founding member and longtime. Is frontman the right uh, expression, Miles? I think I used that one time and you disagreed. Are you the frontman for April Wine or no? That's a good question. I mean, front men usually think of there's a guy with a microphone or a person with a microphone out front and the band's behind them, but we kind of share the front line, so. Well, you know, Miles, from uh, April Wine, if you're a Canadian music fan, uh, platinum, uh, what, do you, what do they call it? Platinum recording selling artists, so. recording artist, yeah, for, for low these many years. In the business for, I guess, over 50 years now, Miles, eh? Oh, professionally, yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and before that, for years before I turned pro, I was playing in bands. Even before high school, I was playing in bands. That leads me to my first question, since we're talking about, about crews and uh, backstage support for, for live entertainment. Do you remember the first time that someone else lugged your equipment and set it up for you and you didn't have to do it yourself? My first girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> I think she's still, still with you. <laughs> that was Bertha. You could carry a marshal under one arm. Uh, uh, you know what? I, I, I don't remember, aside from the fact that when April Wine left Halifax from Montreal on April 1st of 1970, there was a, a fourth, fifth person in the band and a dog. The fifth person, was his name was... Um, Okay, see, uh, uh, give me one second. There was David Henman, Richie Henman. They were brothers, cousins of Jim Henman, myself, and uh, and uh, there was a four of us, and this other fellow that I, <laughs> I can't think of his name right, right now. Uh, but he was a friend of the band. He was more of a friend of Richie and David, and he came along with us, and uh, and he was he was the roadie. I mean, that's the first roadie that we ever had. But we all worked. We, he didn't do it by himself. He just helped us always. He helped us with load-ins, load-outs, and things like that. George Mack uh, was his name, is his name, and he's still here in the Halifax area. And so he was a friend that came with us to Montreal, and uh, and he was uh, he was like our first roadie, I guess, until we had a, a crew, a designated crew of fellows that helped us out. I um, did sound for a band called Lyrock many, many years ago. It was at one of Linda Moffat's bands and uh, Paul Church. Richie was the drummer. Oh, Richie Henman. After, uh, after he'd left uh, you guys. In 73, yeah. He left in 73, yeah. 
This was probably 70. So that's what happened to him. That's what happened. He's he's still around the West Island, I think. Richie's still around the West Island somewhere. Oh, of course he is. I know that. I know that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and he had a wonderful career. Uh, It wasn't in music, but it was something else. He was very good at it and did very Mm -hmm. well. Nice fellow, too. A very nice man, yeah. And David's doing well. He's in Toronto. He still plays, and he has a straight gig as well. And Jim Edman is my best friend, and I speak to him every day. And uh, we we play every single weekend in my tr- in my in my trio here in the Maritime. So we're all together. I mean, we're still all well, and it's good. Now that must be something that's uh, I don't know about rare in the music business, but it's almost rare in in life that you're still friends and hanging out with someone that you've known for. Especially Miles, you've traveled all over the world, and you've lived many different places, and you're back kind of home, and you're hanging out with your best friend again. That's a pretty cool thing. Yeah, that's pretty remarkable. That's that's unusual. And um, I mean, Jim and I always, you know, kept in touch. And for years, he Jim was the guy that drove up the driveway down there, Cape Breton, in 1969. And said, "Miles, is this new band that's starting with me and my cousins? Would you like to join us?" And I was playing in a cover band at the time, living in Cape Breton on a farm, a group called Eastgate Sanctuary. And I said, "Look, I'll tell you what. I'll join your band under one condition." We do original material because I'm tired of playing in cover bands. Hmm. And he took it to the other guys. They said, oh, yeah. So then I went to Halifax and and off we went as April Wine. But Jim and I always, uh, you know, stayed in touch. He left the band after one album. I guess he left in 72. He just didn't like the lifestyle. He didn't think he would survive the lifestyle that was that came with being a rock and roller, especially back then, right? Mm-hmm. So he went to university and then went on and did something else. But then, I, you know, here we are all these years later. He's retired. And uh, and, and I'm back in the Maritimes. And it, it was a natural for us to, to get back together just as friends. And then it went on professionally into what we're doing now. And uh, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, it's a beautiful thing to be able to do that, to say that. And I have other friends that I went to school with down here, and, and they're all still here. And now we're friends. We tee it up together, and I see them around, and uh, it's good. Not everybody's still around, but uh, enough to be grateful. Do you have those experiences where you run into someone who you haven't seen in 40 years, and it's like you saw them last night? Bertha's like that. <laughs> <laughs> she was she was carrying some rocks. I don't know. <laughs> This is the go-to. <laughs> well, there, there are so many people that I don't recognize. Even me some mornings, I'm not wide awake. But the thing yeah. is, uh, we've changed so much, haven't we? You know, and, and a lot of these people I went to school with was over 50 years ago. I'll run into people from from high school. Like I, I had coffee with a guy the other day who I hadn't seen in 25 years, and I'd only seen once since we graduated high school uh, 44 years ago. And honest to God, it was like I'd seen him the night before last. Mm-hmm. We just picked up where we left off, which to me is a sign of real friendship. You know, this is a friend when you go years and years and years without seeing that person mm-hmm. and the comfort level when you meet again is immediate. Well, that's something that's true. And I do have, I do, there are people like that. I misunderstood you at first, I think in your question, but I do have friends that that I, I, I don't see often enough and years will go by and we'll pick up the telephone or something. And it's just like we were talking the day before. Nothing has changed. And that is, that's also remarkable. Such a great feeling. Yeah. Uh, at April Wine's Zenith, Miles, which I guess would be the 1970s and 80s, how, how big was your crew? How many folks did you have in tow with you when you went on tour? 
I, I think at the most we maybe had five that were with us all the time. Of course, wherever you go, there are all these other people that, that come out of the woodwork. You know, they work for the lighting company. They work for the sound company. They work for the venue. They work. They're involved. And they're there to help lift, move, plug in, do whatever. So that crew is there. It's built in. It still is. Uh, but to have guys that travel with you, at the end of the day, get, they get on the tour bus or they get on the plane with you and move on five at the most. And for many, for quite often, it could be three. Uh, we have three now, three or four people usually do it. Like I say, you get those extra hands on site. Well, when I'd seen you play, um, uh, I guess it was, I was in Calgary and uh, I'd phoned Brian, phoned Brian up and Brian said you were playing at the Palisades or, or someplace like that, Miles. And I think that's what your crew was about then. It was about four or five guys, you know. Um, you had your guitar tech and you have your sound guy and your light guy and uh, maybe one or two other guys, but it was that how times have changed now when you're, you know, a, a band of your renown, I would think would be, would be a, you know, a 10 to 15 tour truck thing now. Well, no, it's, you know, it's, you know, that's not the reality, but uh, three is a comfortable crew. It's, you know, I and mean, we're able to manage with uh, people multitask. I mean, this day and age, my contemporaries, most of them that are still out touring there, and they still tour, and they still make records for the fans, as April Wine does on occasion. We haven't made a record in a long time, but I'm working on that. So, um, you know, we have to realize that it's a different world now than when we were selling a million records a year or two million records even during the, our, our heyday in the late 70s and early 80s. I mean, here we are, a classic rock band. And we tour all, you know, we tour all over uh, North America. Uh, we don't go to Europe anymore. It's too far. I haven't wanted to go to go to Europe in a long, long, long time. I can't see going to you know do a festival in Sweden for like forty five minutes set or an hour set and then come home. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. But uh, but we tour in the states up until COVID. We tour in, in North America. But like everybody, Loverboy and a whole bunch of us that that are under that same you know label of classic rock bands still touring for their fans and so forth. Um, you know, we, we fly to shows. We, we have, a, we have a, a, a equipment, we have crew, and we fly. We fly in and we fly out. We don't tour bus. We don't have the trucks anymore. Those days are long, long gone. For, it just doesn't make sense anymore. There was a time in the old days when, when it was affordable. Not just because did you have the money. It was just affordable. You know what they cost for an extra suitcase today? 50 bucks or $75. God forbid you're going to take a second suitcase on, on your vacation, you know. So, and they go by weight. And, and the way things are in this world in this day. I mean, I've flown, for example, in flying. I'm booking flights now. for So we have four shows uh, on the books for 2021. And they're all, in, all next month in September. And we're going to Newfoundland, first of all. And we're going to Calgary. They're going out to Edmonton. So they're playing Lansdowne Park uh, in, uh, in Ottawa. And I'm booking flights. And I'm just reminded, even since two years ago, of what the costs are involved. You know, it's, it, it's a lot. Uh, we're four guys in the band, three crew, there's seven people plus uh, gear. It's very, it's very, very expensive. So, um, so, so that's why it's, it makes sense to have a, a three man crew. We can manage with a three man crew. We got a front house guy. 
that that also stage manages and, and stuff like that. And then we've got a drummer, a guy that does the drums, sets up the drums properly, and he helps on stage. We have a guitar tech that's dedicated to our guitars, Brian and I, Richard's guitars. He that's his job. That's what he's that's that's his specialty. But he also helps out. You know, they all help out. They're all friends. We're all together. We're a crew. We're out there, you know, doing our thing. So it works, and it works for most people. The gear flies as well, Miles? You would take what we call a front line, Ted, which means just the base of our guitars, our, spe- our, our special stuff that's special to us, you know, our, 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 our pedal boards and our microphones and our cowbell <laughs> uh, for, uh, you know, for ooh and a night or whatever. But uh, otherwise, everything is rented there. We have a rider. We have a stage rider, backstage rider. And and, and 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 so forth, and and they have to supply the amplifiers and everything else to make the show happen, the drums and everything else to our specs or as well as they can. And so, you know, that set of drums might be only for April Wine for headlining, or we may share that set with another band. You know, that's the way it is when you do you know, four, three, four, five bands on 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 the same show. They may have one set of drums that everybody shares, or maybe a couple. But they do what they can. It's called combat audio, and it's been around forever. Um, and uh, it's it's part of what we do. Sorry to uh, interrupt. It. Are you still working with Kenny Schultz? No, no, Kenny's still a friend of mine. You know, yeah. Kenny, Kenny's Freddie works really with NASA down in not NASA, but uh, the race car guys. What are they called? NASCAR. 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 They work for NASCAR. He's been doing that for a lot of years. Really? Now. So he's down there in the summertime back home. And He's a good guy. During the winter time, yeah, we 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 speak every you know two or three times a year. Is that the sound guy you were telling me about? Yeah, that's the sound guy. So Ted and I were speaking a little bit earlier, um, Miles, and I wondered. He mixed loud. He was too loud. Okay, so <laughs> that, that that was my question because yeah. I wanted to know, like, when you're talking to your sound guy, like, uh, you know, because it's loud on stage, or it's this, or it's that, or. How? What's your input into vo- front of house volume? Like, do, do you sort of guide it, or do you say you're too loud? I want you this turned down. People aren't enjoying it. Like, what's your input into the the the, the mix and this of the sound for front of house? First of all, when you speak to to someone like Kenny, you have to yell almost for them to hear you. Um, <laughs> but no, seriously, uh, what I tell them it's it's very simple. Uh, and I do tell them not to mix too loud. And you know what hurts us? The vol- me and you in volume is is not the the volume itself. It's the frequencies. Mm-hmm. You can have a, a really bad frequency at, at medium volume, and it's annoying as hell. It it bothers you. It can even hurt your hearing. But if that's not there, and your sound is really good, and all the sound at source is correct, and being, you know. Uh, coming through the PA properly, it can be very loud before it hurts, before it becomes too loud. But I always I always say, and Kenny Kenny was too loud often, and, and, and he knows this. If he gets to hear this, he'll, he'll, he'll be going, uh-huh. If, he, if his radio is really loud and you can hear this. Um, no, kidding. Uh, and, and, and once, but the thing is about a sound guy is that, you know, they decide how you're going to sound at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. They're out there. And they can, if they're, if it's a bad mix and you sound like crap, it's not the band's fault. It isn't. It's the sound man. So you better pick the guy carefully and get a guy that's good at what he does. And we've had a lot 
uh, over the years. And, and Kenny is good. Uh, he tends to be a bit loud. So you have to kind of rein him back a lot. I remember uh, during soundcheck standing there, and it's soundcheck's always louder than normal because you have you, there's nobody in the place, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. You're, you're, he wants to hear everything, but my hair would move listening. To, you know, you, you could feel your your there would be it was like that that old commercial. You know, what the the guy the martini glass getting pushed <laughs> over by the by this by the speaker volume. Uh, but oh, uh, uh, Kenny always made you sound great. I mean, I think you're a great band, Miles. Um, you know, you're, 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 the, the breadth and depth and of your catalog is, is spectacular. Thank you. Does the artist not have the final say, Miles, in, in, in any aspect of, uh, of the setup for a show? Well, the artist has, has yeah, he, they, they, you know, yeah, of course they have final say. But what happens, after, you know, the fact is it's out of your control, right? All you can do is what you do. I got to sing on key. I got to play the right notes, et cetera. That's my job. Once, once it's action, that's what everybody has to do their own thing and collectively be, you know, be good. But, you know, some things are just out of your control. Like the guy out front, the guy, the lighting guy, lighting guy could have horrible lighting. And once it starts, you don't know, especially if it isn't a rehearse show. I mean, Celine Dion, okay, we'll go into a venue and it'll rehearse for weeks and get it right. Every cue, every step, there's your mark, go here, go there. There's the lighting, but us rockers, man, we just go on stage and, you know, let's play and sing great mm. and, and hope the rest of it comes together. Let's hope everybody knows what they're doing, <laughs> you know, and that's it. That's how, that's how it works. That's the reality. So ideally, what's the relationship between the artist and the crew? Is it a collaborative thing? It is. It is. Absolutely. Uh, as I've explained already, you know, we're a team when it's showtime. There's the four guys in the band. There's a three road crew. And, and, and there's the seven of us, really, um, that are are doing the show. Uh, but, you know, over the years, there have been there have been so many crew members. People like the bros, you know, like Kenny bro, Leslie bro. And uh, so forth. And I know. Lloyd Bro, of course. I'm sure you guys know Lloyd Bro and remember Lloyd Bro. Uh, for those listening, he started he, Lloyd Bro. Um, as far as I know, started road managing uh, when he was uh, in the '70s with April Wine. Of course, he went on at the end of his days. He was uh, the director for Celine Dion's production company. He was years with Donald K. Donald, and then unfortunately he got sick and he passed away in 2003 at the age of 54. But he was a friend. We saw the world together. And um, and his brothers, Ken, I think he's still in the business. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure he is. First Nation, I believe, or something like that. And and uh, and Bruce, the young brother, not not Bruce, that's the brother that, uh, uh, Leslie, Leslie Bro. All of those Bro Bro, the Bro brothers were in the business back then. They all worked for April Wine. During the, during the days of, 1973 with uh, the horrors going crazy and the Mad Hatter on the front of the album. There's a big, there's a Mad Hatter with a globe, you know, like Mad Hatter from Alice in Wonderland and all that. We, we built this massive mache mechanical moving Mad Hatter to take on the road. And we were, we were gold traveling with big tour trucks and we would take this thing out, out on the road and it would, it would be on stage with us behind us and it would move to the music and things like that. That was with the Bro Brothers. 
firing off a real cannon on stage stand back in 1975. That was with the Bro Brothers. That's when you didn't need a license for, uh, what do you call them, uh, techniques, the proto, what do you call them? Pyrotechnics. Yeah, that's the word. That's the word. Yeah. I can remember the first concert I ever saw was April Wine at the Fredericton Playhouse, and it was either late 1973 or early 1974. And on either side of the stage, there was the, the big fireball went off. Yeah, and I and it was a life changing experience for me. I'd never seen or heard anything like it in my life. Like I was, I think that's when I got hooked on, on rock and roll. But I'm wondering, in retrospect, and you just referred to it, who was licensed to make those fireballs go off? What was their what was their qualification for almost burning down the playhouse in Fredericton? Uh, all was, you needed was the road with no eyebrows. <laughs> all you needed was some money. That's all you needed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and, and the thing about the cannon was remarkable, and I have to laugh so much when I think of those days. We, we didn't have a license for any of that stuff. The explosions and the gunpowder and everything. It was just like you bought it and you used it. And, and do the, the venues know that's going to happen? Just what? Do the venues know that that's going to happen? Yeah, we, we, we give them a heads up. It's hard to explain exactly what's going to happen. There's yeah. going to be a couple of booms over here, at least some, you know, some, some flames flame. over there, and we're going to shoot off a cannon. <laughs> but don't worry about it. Other than that, <laughs> other than that, you know, uh, so we'd have this cannon that was built uh, by the folks at Plesta's Art, and it was a beautiful Mylar cannon, and it worked. And we used to fill it with confetti. And then at the end of a song, I would come out, the music would come down, the lights would come down, the band would be holding a cord, and I'd come out with this big torch, very slowly from side to side stage to the to the cannon, and I would slowly bring that down to where the wick is, and just as I touched it, you know, bam, this thing would go off, and it would be triggered by one of the road guys with a with a switch, an electric switch, to set off the gunpowder, which would fire confetti into the audience. Honest to God, it was so loud. And, of course, they would shoot out all this confetti over everybody in the front, like 10 rows or 12 rows, and it would all come down, and it would all be on fire. (laughs) (laughs) And you people patting out their heads and like, wow, yeah, man, you know, uh, singeing their eyebrows and all that stuff. Just crazy, just crazy. And and, and the mechanical thing was so funny because I remember it was hollow. It was hollow enough for, like, the the crew to go inside the bottom part of this thing and smoked their dope or whatever they were doing. It was like, it was crazy, fun, fun times. And, and it was, and this, as I'm telling you this, you know, you have to understand, it seems might be obvious that we're friends. The band and crew are friends. We get a day off, we all go to the beach together. Is it difficult when you find good crew to hang on to them? Uh, are other bands and other artists looking around and poaching uh, crew from one another? Well, that's a good question. Later on, yeah. But in the early days, no. Uh, you know, we, we had, we had the, the bro brothers and we had other people and they were with us and they were happy. We were happy. We all lived in the same town. You know, we go out together, we come home together, but you know, as things got bigger, yeah. You know, it, uh, there were times we had guys, great guys, exceptional guys, and they'd be gone, but they were never really friends. You know, they were, they were, and they weren't depends on who, who it is. I mean, a lot of, a lot of crew guys, I don't remember their names. We've had so many over all the years. I don't remember everybody. But I certainly remember the ones that were like real friends. And um, 
you, you know, so people would, would come and go and some of them would go on to do better things and other people, I don't know what happened to them, but, but yeah, if, if you have somebody that's, that's great, like, and we did, as I say, there was one fellow named Paul Devine that did lights and he was British and is, I assume he's still okay. I haven't spoken to him in years and he was with us for only about a year or so, a wonderful guy. And then he was called away. He went off to do um, Pink Floyd, a tour of Pink wow. Floyd. Yeah, big time. We were big time. We were touring like everywhere at that point. That was, yeah. a, a, you know, at the top of our game. Uh, but he was called away. And, and I've had so many guys come to me. Now that I think about it, maybe not at that level, but I've had guys on the crew come to me one-on-one and say, I have the opportunity to go work with somebody that's, doing some great stuff there's more money there's more experience more travel it's a change for me are you okay i've had that many times and i always always say the same thing if that's what you want to do you do it because it's more important that you're happy and you're doing what you do than how we feel about it so do this for yourself and i've always said that and it happens it's uh, there's been a lot of um, a lot of people suffering uh, lately, Miles, through musicians, crew, uh, truckers, you know, caterers, everybody in the industry, as as we all know, through uh, the pandemic. And uh, it's nice that um, we're you know hopefully coming out the other side of it, and and people will be able to get back to work. Um, but uh, there's been I know there's been a lot of um, press about what's been going on to, the, you know, the guys that were behind the scenes as opposed to the guys who were out in front of the stage and, uh, and um, just how they're doing. And uh, we're seeing more and more people um, that, that have struggled through this and uh, sort of as, as, we, as, again, as we come out the other end, uh, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll, we'll all be good. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not just – it really is devastating what's what's been happening for almost two years with COVID. I remember when the first time I heard COVID and I was on the road. I was in Arizona, and I had just been down in the States for three weeks with my trio. We were down in uh, we were down in Florida, Texas. We finished off up in uh, Arizona. I was sitting in Mesa. Mesa? Mesa? Mesa. Arizona. Yeah, yeah having breakfast the day we were catching a plane home. And one of the fellows at the table said, geez, I'm worried about this thing called coronavirus. And that was at a time when I'd, I'd never heard the word before. And that's, you know, we all, that's when we were all making jokes about whether there's some kind of new kind of beer and <laughs> things like that. And I, I remember saying to the person, I oh, don't worry about it. It's just one of those things, you know, it just creates news and, and it's not a big deal. Of course, it was, wasn't more than two weeks later that I realized it had a name, you know. COVID-19 and so forth. And the industry just went down the tubes. Everything came to a, a grinding halt. Nobody, nobody worked. Yeah. And the big guys, and I know the big guys, and I know the big companies that put on the shows, and I still talk to them. And I've been talking to them through all of this, and they're having a hard time. These are companies that are worth millions, you know, that, that have you know, Lady Gaga on the road and stuff like that. And their, their doors are to have been closed, too. They're just starting to see some kind of light. But the hardest hit, in my opinion, and everybody's been hit so hard, it's it's hard to say who's been hardest hit, but what bothers me a lot is that there are so many people that love music 
and are really, really, really good at it. And they have no chance now. Went away. And, you know, we all have to make a living. I've been very fortunate. I'm, I'm fine. But if I, if this happened to me when I was 20 years old, I couldn't pay my rent. I couldn't put food on the table. That whole thing about, you know, our parents used to say, oh, get an education, you know, get your education. I know so many musicians are going back to school that are becoming electricians, plumbers, doing something else because there's no security in music anymore. And who would have thought that? Because we always thought through wars and everything, all the bad times, that the one thing that would survive would be entertainment. Entertainment would always be there for us. Well, guess what, folks? It isn't there with COVID. They're not making movies. I mean, I'm talking recent times. Not making movies. You can't go into a, th a theater. You can't go to a live show. You can't go to the movie theater. You can't do this. You can't do that. When it comes to entertainment, they shut it down. Every part of entertainment, not just musical, but everything. And, uh, and it really, really hurt all those young, talented people at the ground level. That, that you, know, you know, ground zero. They're gone. They've been eliminated, which is brutal. And, you know, some of us will survive. And it seems like we're on a comeback. But who knows with COVID? COVID's still there because well, I'm double vaxxed. I'm sure you guys are. And if there's another vax, I'll take it. Doesn't mean COVID isn't there, right? So uh, I see so many of my contemporaries touring pretty extensively now in the last few months down in America, in the U.S. in particular. And I think they're very brave or very foolish right now. That's my personal opinion. And we're going to do a few, handful of shows up in here in Canada where I feel safer. And it's going to be a joy to see the road crew again. And my mates, you know, Brian Greenway and Richard Lantier and, 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 and Roy Nickel and, and the crew. It's going to be great. I'm, I'm just concerned about um, not just being safe. We can't have meet and greets and things like that now. Uh, and we have to be extremely careful. Uh, but I'm most worried about singing the Bye Bye Bison Roller. They're so high. I'm going to wear a diaper. <laughs> <laughs> because it's been two years. And I have to go up three octaves, Ted. I understand. <laughs> Listen, as a, as a radio announcer, if I'm off for two weeks, the first day back in the studio, I think to myself, Christ, my voice is so thin. Because the vocal cords are like any other muscle. You don't yeah. exercise them for two weeks, you lose it a little bit. And you're looking at what, two, a year and a half. But the thing well, is... You guys are doing some stuff, though, right? Yeah, I'm, do, I'm doing a show. Every, every weekend, I'm doing at least two or three shows. You know, and, uh, uh, and I'm in the studio. I'm in recording all the time, and it doesn't stop. You know, So my voice is being used, but uh, we'll see. I, it hasn't been used quite that way, but... Uh, It'll be, it'll be fine. Actually, this morning I, I, I got out a guitar and I said, well, hmm, roller. Okay. How does this go? You know, <laughs> but we have great memories for old things. Even us old guys, we remember those old things a lot easier than we remember yesterday. That's a cliche, but it's true. You know, I know when I, when I do April wine material and it's all about April wine material and musical journey and my show just between you and me live, which is the trio is that but the newer songs that we do and stuff, uh, uh, they're harder to remember. I got a couple of cheap lyrics, but when I have to sing, you know, I wouldn't want to lose your love or I'm on fire for you or tonight's a wonderful night to fall in love or lady, you could have been a lady or one of those songs. Words are right there. 
and I learned them decades ago. You know, although first I single I ever bought, huh? First single I ever bought. First piece of music I ever went out and purchased was "Could Have Been a Lady." Oh, you could have been a lady. Nineteen seventy-two. Yep. yep. Yeah. I was tw- twelve years old. Was and, that uh, was that on Electric Jewels? Because that was one of the first albums no, I ever bought. That was on. That was on record. April okay. Wine on record. That was I, with, uh, I didn't know Miles. Uh, sorry to interrupt. I didn't know that that wasn't original. It wasn't written by you because I, I mean everything else I'd ever heard by April Wine. You know, buying subsequent albums and uh, a harder, faster, and the whole world's going crazy and all that was was pretty much all of your writing. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't realize that until I was doing a little bit of reading for for this, that could have been a lady was actually a hot chocolate cover. Yeah, hot chocolate had uh, had their first big international hit was called uh, "You Sexy Thing," yeah. "Sexy Thing," whatever it was called. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. sexy thing, absolutely. And uh, a Ralph, a uh, 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 record producer that worked with us in the early days, a Canadian named Ralph Murphy, who passed away last year. Um, he found that song. He also found Elton John's song, uh, Bad Side of the Moon. Cause he used to go to England, he used to find these songs and, and bring them back. And, and so he brought us that. And he also brought us a song called I'm on fire for you. So those three songs, lady and I'm on fire for you, bad side of the moon. I did not write. And Ralph brought those songs uh, to us. And Ralph is a guy that, you know, obviously by saying all that, that I've known for a long time, I knew for a long time, we go back to the, to 1972 with, you could have been a lady and and on record. It was the first one he did for us. Then he did uh, electric jewels and, uh, and he passed away last year and he was so well known. He was a song man. He was from Ontario, but he, most of his adult life, he traveled, everybody lived in Nashville. And I've been down to Nashville to visit him in one of those houses that they these old these old homes that they turn into offices and writing uh, where all the songwriters go and everybody has their room with their gear and they come in on Monday morning morning Ralph morning Ralph Ralph and they sit down and write songs all day you know that that kind of and he was part of that whole system so uh, he was up to the uh, the Junos last year I believe it was last year. Yeah, last year, the Junos, not this previous one, the one before this last one. And he was there being honored by the Juno Committee for all his work. And he's, he was an absolutely brilliant guy. And I'll just tell you a little story on my on my blues, on my second blues, Miles Goodwin and Friends of the Blues, came out a couple of years ago. I had a country song called Even Singing Cowboys Get the Blues. And I sent it to Ralph, my old friend Ralph, who never left the music business for a moment. I uh, was right there. I sent it to him and I said, Ralph, you've been in Nashville. I've never written or recorded a country song before, but I did. And I want you to hear it. I hope you like it. He said to me, word for word, he said, I love it, Miles. I will listen to it again and again and again. That was the last thing he said to me. He died a couple of months later, unfortunately. But I'll always remember our relationship started in 72 and it only ended, you know, last year. Mm. And those kind words that he had for me with that country song, say, I will love it and I'll listen to it forever and ever, again and again and again. They're very special to me. 
Miles, before we let you go, I'd like you to tell the story of the new song you've written about uh, the residential school and the graves. And uh, I think we'll play that song as a way of uh, going out of the podcast. Okay. Uh, did you not want to hear uh, a story or something? Or did you have enough? Oh, sure. I'm, just going, I'm just going for your notes. I said, now, what, what am I going to say when, when Ted's asked me, like, well, you tell us a funny story or something memorable? Yeah. If you've if you've got something, oh yes, yeah, actually Steve has uh, Steve. Steve I, I has have a something. little story, Miles. Jim Clench was uh, Brian dated my sister many 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 years ago, back in the Maples days. But Jim Clench was a uh, was was a pretty good friend. Uh, Jim Clench, I, who I really enjoyed his company, good guy. Um, yeah. And he phoned me one night from the road, from the tour bus actually, and. Uh, it was two in the morning and he woke me up and I said, Jim, why are you calling me at this time of the night? Where are you? And he says, we're pulled over on the side of the road in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan or someplace like that. It was, it was somewhere way out in the prairies, freezing cold night. And I said, why? And he says, Miles got up for a snack and he looked in the fridge and someone had eaten the chips ahoy and he wants to know who. <laughs> they were his, and he's, we're not moving till someone owns up to this. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I, true or not, Miles, I don't know, but uh, Jim phoned me up one night with uh, with that tale from the road. <laughs> wow, wow. He, he said, we're, we're not going to break up over drugs or women, but this band's going to break up over over cookies <laughs> and, <laughs> and someone stealing someone else's food. <laughs> I remember it. Yeah. I remember that. I, I do remember that. Yeah. I, I, I don't want to get into it. Right. <laughs> it really wasn't about the cookies. It was more than the cookies, but you right. know, there's always, you know, sometimes there's a last straw mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, when it happens to be the last cookie. Yeah. I was like, pull over. <laughs> now uh but i didn't know jim was, was was making phone calls around it jim jim was a very special man and uh my goodness yeah he was a great guy he was yeah and many people including myself miss him yeah anyway I, I i thought i'd leave you with one story from the road though that was memorable you can use it or not ted it doesn't matter i did mention this fellow's name earlier he went on to join pink floyd but this was a story and i was trying not to say his name earlier i was i was hinting around by saying oh there were so many guys i don't remember their names you know and i didn't want to bring his name up but i will and you can maybe use it <coughs> if you if you if you want to have some coffee a little bit of cold coffee <clears throat> and the fellow's name is pink uh, is is okay let me start again one of the best crew guys that we ever had was a fellow named Paul Devine. And he's British. And I don't remember how he came to us, but on that day, things changed. He was the guy that got things done. Uh, everybody respected him immediately, and he was a task master. And... Uh, and you could always rely on Paul. The lights that were his thing, and it was brilliant. But he just affected everybody and everything that went on with, within the crew. So we're playing New Orleans. 
And there's a drink in New Orleans called the Hurricane. It was it was first made during the Second World War. It's like heavy duty rum, some light rum, and some lime juice, and there's some fruit juice and things like that. And and, and the shape of the glass. You know what I'm talking about? The shape of a glass. The Hurricane comes in a shape, a certain shape glass, which which resembled the old hurricane lamps that they used way back in the day, uh, you know, and so they were called hurricanes. And the place that's most famous for it is Pat O'Brien's in, in New Orleans, if you've ever been there. It's still there, and it's famous for the hurricanes. Well, one of these, and you start, you feel one of them. You feel it. There's no question. You slur your words a little bit after one, okay? We have four and the place where you normally drink them is there's a courtyard that's still there. And we were there. Well, they threw us out. And it was abandoned the crew. We had about four of these hurricanes. We were just stupid, 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 stupid. Oh, my God. So close to a fight. Arr, 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 and all kinds of things. We went. We made it, finally made it back to the hotel and passed out. The next day, we had a big show in New Orleans. And I got a knock on the door. It was says, Miles, quick. We can't get. Paul will, you know, Paul won't get out of bed. So I went down to see him. By the time I got to his room, he was sharing with another another crew member, and there were two single beds. Well, Paul was between the beds on the floor, out of it, completely out of it. And I said, Paul, you have to get up because we have a show, and you have a sound check. You have to get up now. I don't want to know about any show. I'm not working today. And from Paul, this was extraordinary. Like all hope was gone, you know. If Paul, if Paul ain't going, where his show is not going to happen. But he came to, I mean, he came. Through, you know, we got him in the shower, got coffee, a coffee in him, and, and and the show went on. But he was so extraordinary, and he went on to. We did that one tour, and then he was called by uh, the folks at Pink Floyd, and he went off and did some big, huge tour with Pink Floyd. He was that good. But the hurricane just brought that man to his knees, which was really something memorable to all of us, right? So, I well, I hope that. I never get an opportunity to try one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you want to talk about the song, Miles, and go out I on do. that? I, I do. Ha- I don't. Ha- thank you for mentioning it. Well, some of these children, they never grew up. I don't, I don't have a lot to say about it. You know, all of my entire career, and I, I've written an awful lot of songs. I stay away from politics and religion. It's just to to lose lose, you know. So I don't share my opinions in any of that stuff ever. But in the case of this, where these these unmarked graves are being discovered and have been discovered recently, and more are being discovered of these indigenous children that were 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 part of the residential school system that started. It ended in the nineties, but it had been around for over one hundred and fifty years. I don't know if you you knew that. I didn't know it had been around that long. And this was this was something thought up by the uh, by the Canadian government, the federal government, and uh, and uh, and they used the 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 church system, the Catholic church system, to to instigate the whole program of uh, assimilating the native uh, boys and girls to take the savage out of the out of the Indian, and um, and you know the rest of it. So I don't really like to talk about that. So what I what I you know what I did is but my partner my lifetime partner Kim is Sue Assiniboine. and I see how I see how she feels about everything when it comes to native rights and 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 something like this her mother was in the residential school system really affects me I mean this is my partner um, her children are native 
and I, I know about how hard it is for them. And I had something to say about it. And I, everything I had to say about it, I put in that song. And and that's really that's really the story on the song. Yeah. Well, we'll let the song speak uh, for itself. It's called mm-hmm. uh, Some of These Children by Miles Goodwin. Miles, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, we really, really appreciate it. And it's been a lot of fun. Uh, Bertha, right out of the gate, was uh, a belly laugh. And, uh, and it just went from there. Very enjoyable. All right. Good to see you both. Take care. Very nice to see you, Miles. Thank yeah, you. cheers. All the best, guys. God bless the children, the boys and the girls. They hurt all those children, what's happening to the world. Someone stand up and tell us the truth. Something bad was going on, now what can people do? Some of these children They never grew up Some of these children You've been listening to Backstage Stories Crew are people too Produced and presented by Truck and Roll Specialists in concert and entertainment transportation The road is our stage Visit truckandroll.com I'm Matt Kundal, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamnscore.com.